President Biden recently released his budget proposal for fiscal year 2024. As he has with previous budgets, the president is continuing to call for higher taxes on businesses and wealthy taxpayers. This may be the last budget President Biden releases before he announces a run for a second term. His White House says this budget will reduce the deficit, strengthen Medicare, and will only target the well-off. But are those claims true? And do any of these policies actually stand a chance at becoming law? Hello and welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Solis, Communications Manager here at the Tax Foundation. And this week, we are joined by our senior economist, Erica York. Erica, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jesse. Thanks. It's good to be back. Good to have you here. Uh, So every year around this time, uh, late winter, early spring, the president usually releases his or her budget uh, to Congress and to the public, kind of listing out their priorities for the year, where they want to see... you know, economic action uh, in certain areas in order to fund different priorities. Uh, So President Biden this month released his budget for fiscal year 2024. Could you kind of walk us through top line what is in this budget? Yeah, the president's budget has almost $5 trillion of new tax hikes on, on a gross basis. So it would raise taxes on corporations. It would raise taxes on high income individuals would raise taxes on international businesses, on pass-through businesses. And it's also got some targeted tax credits, uh, expansions and tax credits for primarily lower-income households. Okay, so it's got some new tax increases on businesses, some new tax increases on wealthy individuals, and a bunch of new tax credits um, or expansion to different credits that have been in place uh, throughout the years. Um, so. As the time that this episode releases, Tax Foundation will have modeling out of this budget, looking into what all those different tax hikes and changes would do to the economy. Could you walk us through what you and your team found, uh, what the impact would be of this budget if it were to be implemented into law? Yeah. So if, if the tax increases were implemented into law, we estimate that they would reduce long-run economic output by 1.3%. They would reduce wages. They would reduce employment by more than 330,000 full-time equivalent jobs. They would also reduce our capital stock. So that's like the stock of productive assets that we have, like machinery and equipment and buildings and factories, would reduce that capital stock by 2.4%. And really, that's, that's probably an understatement of the negative effect because the president's budget contains some very creative or novel or untested tax ideas. Um, So we don't model two of of the big tax increases in there, which are creating a minimum tax on high net worth individuals on their unrealized capital gains and some some changes to international taxes, particularly the under tax profits rule. Those add up together to about a trillion dollars of revenue. And we, we don't estimate that. So in reality, the, the economic hit is probably larger than that 1.3% reduction that, that we're estimating right now. So from what we can estimate with confidence, things are not looking great. And they're probably worse than that is what you're saying, because there is just some untested ideas in here. Is it lack of details that we're not able to kind of model those few things? Or is it just they're new and there's not really a basis to go off of here? Uh Mostly the latter. Um, there, there are some data constraints. These, these are untested ideas, so there's not a lot to go off of. Um, the, the international tax change, for instance, 
Um, to model that, you have to model what about 140 other countries are doing with their tax codes. And we, you know, that, that's a that's a huge task. So there's a whole bunch of uncertainty in, in modeling what the economic impact of of those changes would be. Gotcha. Um, so, Erica, of course, this budget is not law yet. The president can't write laws. Um, but often, you know, these things kind of come out and they, they do serve as a messaging tool, as a priority list for White House. Um, from your take here, what do you think President Biden is trying to say with this budget right now? Yeah, it's unfortunately a pretty negative message from from my perspective. Um, it's it's symbolic of of what we want our tax code to say and do. And of course, the problem with our current tax code is that it creates a drag on economic growth because it places uh, disincentives for investing. It harms decisions to work to to invest in the United States. And rather than you know come up with proposals in this symbolic document to take care of the major problems in our tax system, really doubles down on them. Layers new complicated taxes on top of an already complicated system. It would reduce incentives to invest. It would reduce incentives to work. So really, it seems like a, a message of you know a worse tax code targeting tax increases at, at corporations at high income individuals. And the economic ramifications of that would, you know, spread spread across the economy because reduced investment um, that, that that reduces our capital stock, like we estimate in in our numbers here, and that harms wages, that harms opportunities for for everyone. And some of these things that he's proposing here, like a higher corporate tax rate, um, that's nothing new from Mr. Biden. He's been talking about that since the campaign trail. And, and shoot, he's been talking about that since the corporate rate was lowered in the first place. Um, does that surprise you that he's recycling any old ideas? And from the new ideas in here, do any of those really kind of raise your eyebrows? Or is it just really more the same from what we've been getting from day one here? Most of it's the same or going further in the same direction. For instance, you know, we, we've seen proposals to expand the base of the net investment income tax, which is a 3.8% tax um, that was enacted as part of Obamacare. So we've seen proposals from the president to expand that before. He goes beyond that. So rather than just subjecting more types of income to that tax, he, he would raise that tax rate from its current 3.8% to 5%. So things like that um, aren't surprising to see. And I think perhaps the sur surprising element of this is, you know, the, one of the big takeaways is that it will reduce the deficit. But if you're relying on tax increases that have already failed legislatively, you know, the, the real prospects of deficit reduction are, are, are much lower than than what you would think from from reading the numbers in the budget. And that deficit thing is something, you know, his White House has been going after a lot on Twitter, especially, you know, as Social Security and Medicare have taken a bigger stance in the forthcoming campaigns. Um, so I'm sure that deficit talk is something we'll get back to. Um, as we wrap up this first section here, Erica, we've talked about what's in this budget. Um, there's a lot of things that are not in this budget, though, as you've written on, as you've tweeted about, um, as we've talked about, you know, office. So what glaring tax things are missing from this budget that kind of give you pause right now? Yeah, unfortunately, the budget doesn't have anything to say about the phase out of bonus depreciation, which is starting to phase out right now this year, will continue to phase out until until it goes away completely. And if you if you want to have policies that incentivize manufacturing, that make it more attractive to invest in America, 
bonus depreciation write-offs for that capital investment should be, you know, top of the list when you're thinking about tax policy. And and the budget is silent on that. The budget also doesn't specify that it would reinstate expensing for research and development. Um, because of a change in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, companies now have to amortize those expenses over five years. If we compare that to a country like China, they get a super deduction for their R&D. So they get to write off more than the cost of their R&D. Um, firms investing in R&D in the United States in real terms, only get to write off, you know, less than than the actual cost. Uh, the the budget does say that it would have some unspecified R and D incentives, but they they don't commit to what those are. They don't tell if tell us if that's a, a tax fix or if that's some new, you know, complicated spending subsidy uh, like like we're seeing with the the complexities of of IRA and chips. Those those can be quite ineffective in practice, and so those two big cost recovery items are. are to me, uh, glaringly uh, absent from the budget. Has he mentioned any interest of wanting to do something there and just didn't include it in this budget or are those items he has been silent on so far? There's been talk, you know, about a sort of compromise with with the child tax credit and pairing that with these cost recovery items that, that was talked about last year. Uh, right now, that the water is muddy there if if something like that is is going to happen again. Um, so that could be why the budget is silent. They they didn't want to preempt some sort of, of deal that, that could be happening. But yeah, a, a big question mark on that right now. And with that, we'll be right back. And we are back. This is our section we call Myths and Misconceptions. We tackle some common talking points around these themes we discuss on the deduction. Get to the bottom of it. Are they true? Are they not? Um, is there more than meets the eye? So, Erica, my first myth I want to get to, and I think this is something that both sides here kind of use as a defense whenever budget season comes around, um, that when it gets down to it, these budgets don't really matter because they're not going to become law. As as we know, Congress writes laws, not the president. So this budget really is just a document the president has to release, and therefore we shouldn't take them seriously. Do you think that's true? No, I, I think they're they're vitally important. Um, they're they're really the start of the conversation. So the the president releases his budget, and then from there, Congress picks it up, and and they have to release you know th- their ideas, and then that becomes the foundation of of whatever ends up in law that year. So while, you know, the the big ticket tax increases in the president's budget don't don't have any you know, chance of becoming law, they're symbolic to, to show where the president wants to take tax policy, where his party in general wants to take tax policy. And they're, they're probably going to be the foundation of, of his reelection campaign too. some of these big tax increase ideas like raising the corporate rate, like like we saw last uh, last election cycle. But also some of the new ideas like creating this unrealized capital gains tax for for high income individuals. That's a novel idea that's going to, you know, be in the discussion for probably the next the next decade that that's going to to come back and and be debated. And so really, it's it's starting the conversation of, of where tax policy is going to go in future years. And even if the president isn't here for a decade, most of Congress probably will be. Um, so these are ideas that are gaining steam, they are important to kind of track from the beginning. Um, my second myth I want to get to, final myth too, uh, recently on Twitter, um, and really often on Twitter, uh, the president has been repeating 
this statement that billionaires only pay 3% in taxes. Um, I think he's going to keep repeating that. Kind of seems like his hot number, you know, campaign. He was, I'm not going to raise taxes above 400K. Now he's kind of repeating this mode of uh, billionaires only pay 3% in taxes. Erica, do billionaires only pay 3% in taxes? No, they, they, they pay more than that. Um, you know, the, the president's own Council of Economic Advisors came up with their own estimate that, that differs from what the tax code looks like now. It, it's a hypothetical investment that uses a, a different measure of income to measure how much taxes the top 400 pay. And they found a rate of 8.2%, so higher than 3%. But, but that rate is misleading in itself because to get to that low rate, they count unrealized capital gains as income. So think of, you know, if, if you own a stock and that appreciates or grows in value over the year, they're counting all of that appreciation as income, even though that income is only occurring on paper. And so that's what drives these um, eye-popping small rates is this hypothetical measurement that um, includes paper gains as, as income. If we look at the, the tax system that we have, which only taxes capital gains when they're realized, so someone sells an asset, they get proceeds from that sale, they then pay taxes, um, that, that system that we have, the top 1% of taxpayers in 2020 paid an average tax rate of 26%. The bottom half of taxpayers paid an average tax rate of 3.1%. And that average would be even lower if you factored in refundable tax credits like the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit that provide more back to people than they pay in in taxes, um, that's not even factored in to that 3.1% rate for the bottom half. So we have a progressive tax system in which the the more money you earn, the more taxes you pay. And, and that's that's how it's structured today. And so it's it's a complete myth that, that high income earners aren't paying taxes. I should mention, yeah, he's saying that 3% line um, in defense of wanting to raise taxes on the well-off with his budget. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the tax code is progressive. If, if these policies were to take effect, do you think overnight that means billionaires to start paying 30% in taxes or 40%? Or would the policies not have the direct impact for the top 1% that he's saying they will? They they would, um, but they they would he would create this 25% minimum tax on unrealized gains so this would be you know before you sell your business say say you found a business and and it becomes very profitable and you you haven't sold it you would be taxed on the value of that business um you would be taxed the the, the billionaires subject to this tax on on the increase in the value of their homes on the increase in the value of their artwork um all, all of these really complicated things that really no other country brings into their tax system. Um, it's it's the norm, the system we have right now to, to tax gains once they're realized, once you actually have income to tax rather than just this phantom income that only exists on on paper. Um, so so bringing that into the tax system would, would be quite uncertain because no one else does it. And it, it would really create wrong incentives for entrepreneurship, for risk taking, for saving and investing, um, and and have some probably really negative ramifications on on that front. There there are ways if you want to um, you know target 
taxes on on high income earners. There there are ways to do it that that aren't so economically damaging, that aren't so novel and untested. Um, we we have pointed to things like you know a progressive consumption tax as as a solution to to raise revenue that um, is more tested and wouldn't have the the bad effects of of a tax like this. Hmm. So Erica, um, as this budget moves forward, um, as Congress you know gets ready to kind of release their own proposals, uh, what's your message to legislators? What from this budget do you think are the things they should maybe avoid um, as they get ready to continue throughout this year? Yeah, I think we do need to do something about the the fiscal situation. We do need to get our, our fiscal house in order. Um, CBO currently projects over the next decade, you know, $20 trillion of deficits. That's not good. Um, but at, at the same time, um, tackling that problem the way that Biden's budget seems to do or, or would try to do by raising marginal income tax rates is really the worst way to go about it. Um, the The revenue is is uncertain. A lot of the revenue in the budget is uncertain. And it would be economically damaging. It would it would make our tax rates, you know, way outside the norm um, internationally, and so you, you would lose economic growth there, which you know puts puts you in a worse situation in in terms of being able to raise revenue and um, you know grow and and see benefits on on that side of things. So I would say focus on on solutions um, that that aren't going to essentially shoot yourself in the foot, like raising marginal income tax rates would. Is there anything in here that you think is worthy of debate? Uh, we do have a you know split Washington right now, um, so chances of a lot of this being picked up by a Republican House are slim already. But do you think there's anything in here that a bipartisan Congress could work on with the president to get in the law? Yeah, to to give some credit to the budget, it does offer permanent solutions for for a few things. Um, it would permanently expand the earned income tax credit for workers without qualifying children. And that that was something that was temporarily increased in the American Rescue Plan Act for one year. And rather than, you know, a temporary extension, it would it would make that permanent. It also would permanently expand um, premium tax credits and permanently make the child tax credit refundable while temporarily increasing the the amounts for the child tax credit. So, you know, pointing to permanent fixes for things in the tax code is is good. Um, probably going to take some some compromise on the exact parameters of you know what permanent changes to the credits would look like, but focusing on more permanent solutions, less temporary uh, tax policy changes is is a good thing in general. Mm. Uh, well, Erica, as always, extremely informative. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with me uh, through this budget. Um, in the coming weeks ahead, what are you and the federal team at Tax Foundation working on? What can we expect from you? Yeah, we just recently released a modeling for growth and opportunity plan, which which looks at what would happen in the United States if we adopted Estonia's very simple tax system. Um, we're we're going to do more work building on on what those reforms could look like in the U.S. We're also going to do some research on debt and deficits and consumption taxes that that will come out uh, probably early summer. So lots lots of things that we're working on right now. And as always, we'll link to. Uh you know, that GNO study Erica mentioned uh, in the episode notes, as well as the modeling for the budget. Um, and Erica, if people want to follow uh, your work and more, where can they find you online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. My handle is Erica D. York. 
Awesome. Well, Erica, thank you. And we'll be sure to have you back on again soon. Thanks, Jesse. The Deduction is produced by Dan Carbajal. To learn more about the Tax Foundation and The Deduction, visit us online at taxfoundation.org slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Tax Foundation, as well as on Twitter at DeductionPod. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on The Deduction.